Well, hello there, happy innovators. How are you guys doing today, huh? How's the week been going for you? I hope it's been going good. I got my coffee here, and I got myself a small little bag right here of Ruffles potato chips and just kind of eating them as a snack. But, you know, it got me to thinking. I have a question for you. All you listeners, every single person who is listening to this podcast, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have a favorite chip? You know, like Doritos, Ruffles, uh, Cheetos. You know, do you have a favorite snack food, a favorite chip that comes in a bag? You open the bag and you reach in and you grab yourself one and you eat it. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. For me, well, first of all, let me say, I know that it's rude to eat and talk at the same time, like to talk with your mouth full. But, hold on. Mm. But, in this circumstance, I can imagine that uh, you'll forgive me, you know, but, oh my gosh, I'm eating this bag of ruffles. And, uh, I forget how great they are. Mm. You know, there used to be a potato chip available in the American market a long time ago. Ah, these chips are so good. Um, okay, I'll put those down. Eat one more chip. But anyway, there used to be this chip in America. It was called O'Grady's O'Gratin. And there were these potato chips that were like Ruffles, but they were really thick. And they were covered with, like, cheese flavoring, you know? Mm. Oh, my gosh, those chips are good. Hang on, I'm going to wash them down with a little sip of coffee. Oh, man. Anyway, I was talking about those O'Grady's O'Gratin potato chips. I used to love those things. I was like addicted to them when I was younger. Oh my gosh, they were so good. And then all of a sudden, one day, like poof, they were gone. No more. No more O'Grady's O'Gratin. So I actually kind of wonder how many of you out there remember them, you know? Am I the only person who ate them and (laughs) maybe that's why they went out of business? Um, I wasn't quite enough to keep them afloat, you know, my, my 50 cents a bag or whatever. $2 a bag or whatever back in the day. O'Grady's O'Gratin. Ah, they were so good. So now, nowadays, I have to settle for Ruffles, uh, sour cream and cheddar chips. And oh my gosh, they are so, (laughs) they are so good. I swear I have to like really, really try to stay away from them. Although I do have quite a bit left in my little bag here. So don't be surprised if I'm munching on my chips throughout this podcast. But I am really curious to know. Uh, So don't forget, you know, in the comment section of this uh, podcast, whether it's on YouTube or whatever, um, wherever you're finding it now, because it's all over the place now. um, Let me know. Let me know what your favorite chip is. Who makes the best chip? I mean, is it Cheetos, Doritos, Ruffles, you know, especially like here in the States, but I would be even more curious to know about chips that are available in Europe. You know, the stuff that uh, we can't get over here. 
you know? Um, so let me know. I'm curious. Oh, anyway, so COVID days, huh? Oh my goodness, it's such a weird time. You know, I could talk about all the weirdness in this podcast today and you know, I'm half tempted to because a lot of it is on my mind and it's concerning me and uh, it's emotional and worrisome and all that kind of stuff. But I'm kind of like, you know what? I'll bet, like me, a lot of you are just kind of like sick of hearing about it all the time. You know, what was it? For At first it was impeachment for Donald Trump, then it was covid and wearing masks and social distancing and quarantining, and now it's riots and protests. You know, what's next? What's the next phase? You know, um, so I'm not going to talk about that on this podcast today. I'm going to steer away from it and talk about many other things other than that. And uh, wow, I guess I didn't realize, you know, one of the downsides to this whole COVID home quarantine stuff. I almost called it bullshit. Well, okay, let's call it what it is. Bullshit. Um, uh, you know, my wife's office is right next to my studio, and I'm used to being alone and recording and not having to worry about, you know, peripheral noise or anything like that. But I don't know if you can hear it in this recording I'm doing right now, but my wife's voice is actually coming through the wall. Uh, pretty good into my microphone right now, so I'll do my best to eliminate that problem. But it was one of those things that was like unforeseeable about COVID that I just never thought of or never needed to. That I would have to kind of bargain with my wife about time, you know, when I can sing and when I can not sing, and you know, we have to kind of work it out. <laughs> it's the only downside, I swear, to this whole thing. Otherwise, it's been like heaven on earth. You know, spending every day with my wife and, you know, she works and I work and then we'll meet in the kitchen for lunch and then go back to work. And, you know, it's just really been great, but it does have its downsides. So I apologize if you can hear my wife's voice bleeding through in this recording. But anyway, there's a band called uh, Tame Impala. I'm sure by now that many of you are familiar with them. Um, and... I like their music a lot, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kevin Parker, the guy who is behind the sound and the songs of Tame Impala. Um, I've been following him for quite some time now, and just kind of, I'm really interested in him because um, I see a lot of similarities between him and I, like our attitudes. Um, of course, he's... <laughs> Much more talented, much more wealthy, and much more well-known than I am. But um, I am, in some ways, in my own way, a version of this guy, Kevin Parker. And um, I think about him a lot. I think about uh, the process of recording a lot, obviously, because I'm teaching myself all this stuff as I go. So um, when somebody like Kevin Parker from Tame Impala pops up, you know, he makes my radar. I kind of pay attention to the details, pay attention to what he's doing, you know. And uh, I find it really interesting because for the longest time, um, as a DIY artist, you know, I do things myself. And, you know, for better or for worse, you know, things that 
get released by Pipe Choir or PC3 or uh, PC1, any any of the stuff I do, everything, the videos, you know, the records, the songs, the everything. I do it myself. You know, I do do it by myself. I mean, my wife is like my partner, but she doesn't touch the music. You know, she's my business partner, but she doesn't play instruments or anything like that. It's it, the music is me, right? Um, so, you know, I have to kind of, in some ways, admit that a lot of the time when I'm you know, recording a song or something in the back of my mind, I'm always kind of thinking about this idea that eventually maybe somewhere down the line, you know, these songs sound good and everything, but maybe somewhere down the line, uh, a professional, you know, will get involved with me somehow the pipe choir thing. And, you know, I'll be able to hand off what I consider to be a finished song, right? hand it off to some famous producer or something and they'll take it the rest of the way and make it amazing or you know use my finished recordings that I make now as like demo versions for these you know future you know imaginary possible scenarios where you know Chris Lord Alge is producing my album and you know the recordings I do are the demos for this album with this famous producer, right? I mean, it's always there in the back of my mind, but I gotta say that after kind of like following Kevin Parker from Tame Impala a little bit, let me tell you, it's pretty cool, pretty interesting story with this guy. Okay, now he started making these albums, this these songs for Tame Impala. Um, he started making them out of his bedroom. Okay, so they were just, you know, homemade recordings that somehow wound up going like bullshit, you know, on the world market. And people just, you know, love Tame Impala, right? So, you know, eventually Tame Impala, you know, found so much success with like the first albums and stuff that they got a professional mixer you know, a professional person to get involved with his recording process to make the recordings sound more professional and polished the way that they should be, right? According to industry standards and things like that. But what I find interesting, okay, and this is the reason I'm bringing up Kevin Parker and all this stuff, okay, is because what wound up happening was after a couple albums, like doing it that way where... The process that uh, Kevin Parker had established for himself was, you know, slightly modified, slightly interrupted by this other person who was getting involved. He did it for like a couple albums that way or something, but then eventually he got rid of that guy and he went back right to what it was like, you know, in the beginning, just him in a room with the equipment making the music. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you. Okay, but to me, that says so many things. It's kind of like a lesson I don't have to learn, you know, on my own. I can pay attention to that. Like he went from what I am right now, okay, to having success and then, you know, changing his process 
and involving another person, and then he wound up in the end going back to just working by himself. That's the better way to go in the end. And that just sets the tone for so many things. For me, okay, in my world, right? So, like, for like I said, for the longest time, I was kind of listening to my own music and criticizing my process and my uh, shortcomings, you know, as a producer and as a musician, okay? All, all across the board, there were certain little things that, yeah, you know, I wish I could work that out or I wish that wouldn't have gone that way. I wish I could have made it sound better or I wish, you know, th- that kind of thing. You know, this whole revisiting of songs is, you know, old songs is probably like a way of making up for that. You know, when I hear mistakes or things that can change, I bring them into the future, change them and then re-release them. It's, you know, because I'm learning by the seat of my pants. I have never had a teacher for any of it. I didn't have a teacher to play bass or drums or guitars or I never had a vocal coach, someone giving me advice about singing. Um... No one ever gave me advice about recording or anything like that. I mean, I did uh, have recording experiences and things like that, and I took notes. You know, I paid attention, but for the most part, actually, entirely, really, this whole pipe choir thing, the PC3 thing, all this stuff, all of it is really just by the seat of my pants, right? And it's done my way. So what Kevin Parker illustrates to me is that what matters most, okay, when you're an artist of any kind, whether you're a painter, a musician, and you know, uh, you do graphic design or uh, you're a writer, anything, you have to maybe, okay, maybe put more stock in your own ability and your own style of your own way of doing things. Okay, I, I have not always done that. I kind of doubted myself. I kind of have felt like. I was subpar, you know, and let's face it, for many years I was. I mean, I was figuring it out. I was learning, you know, as I did it. But um, that whole thing with Kevin Parker just makes me think, like, maybe I'm wrong to have this dream or this desire to work with other people that are, like, famous and really good at what they do, like, you know, famous producers, you know, like, uh, oh man, there's just so many, um, but like what, uh, Jeff Lynn, you know, from ELO, like if he wanted to produce a pipe choir album, like, oh my gosh, can you imagine like sitting in a studio all day with Jeff Lynn or Alan Parsons or something <laughs> crazy like that? I mean, I don't know in my business, as much as that sounds crazy or like a dream, it's actually to a certain degree, a possibility. Okay, that's how that's how you have to look at it. Anything goes for a guy like me. I mean, there's no telling what the future might be like. But um, I I've learned that I need to kind of forego those kinds of thoughts because what really matters at the end of the day is that it's done my way. Like that's what makes a pipe choir song a pipe choir song. It's not how magnificently it's produced or, you know, how uh, professionally it's done or something. It's that it comes from my hand. It is the work of my imagination and my hand. One person, you know, um, 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I hope so. I hope I haven't lost you because I'm kind of meandering a little bit, but uh, you have to kind of forgive me. I haven't thought it all through completely before I started talking. I just kind of felt it and it was something I wanted to talk about, you know, like, um, okay. When I was younger, uh, and I was playing in bands, um, you know, we would go, when we wanted to make an album or a recording, you know, we would go to like a studio, right? We'd pay some studio, some engineer guy, you know, to record the band, and then we would pay somebody to master it and mix it and all the, all the things, the technical things that come along with making an album and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time that was happening, okay, I knew people, like I had friends that were in punk bands. And the punk bands did this thing that I never forgot. I mean, I've always kept it in my mind. Was, you know, while we're in this like, you know, thousand dollar a day studio making our record, my buddies were over here in the rehearsal space and they would literally, okay, literally put a boom box uh, a cassette recorder for all you who don't know what a boombox is. Um, they would put it in the center of the rehearsal space. They would press play and record. They would play their songs onto a cassette through a you know little condenser mic on a boombox, and that's their album. So they would make copies of that recording and they would hand it out as their album. It wasn't a demo or an experiment or something. It was like, here's our album with like a notebook paper album cover with the name of the band written in marker on a cassette tape from the store, you know, a Maxell tape. And they would write their band name on there. Maybe sometimes not even that. And there's their album. And I have a stack of them still to this day. I have a stack of these old school punk rock band cassette tapes. But And that's nice and everything for nostalgia, right? But really... The message that's held in those cassette tapes is this, that all that fancy stuff, all those things, they don't matter. You know, what matters is the music. That's what matters. So to a certain degree with myself, you know, being a limited, per, you know, having, having a limited knowledge of recording at home and recording myself, you know, having to learn I've always kind of adopted that attitude. Well, at least, you know, it's okay. It's kind of like, it is kind of like those punk bands back in the day. You know, like what I'm doing is kind of like a modern day version of that. I'm not going to Sterling Sound and recording my albums and I have zero budget and you know what I mean? Like I don't have any producers. I don't even have other players or anything like that. I'm doing this by myself. So I have to just kind of accept it. You get what you get from Pipe Choir, right? And it comes from me. It comes from my hand. Directly from me to you. And there's beauty in that. And there's there is like there's this thinking I have that that is the future for me. Like, even if I had the opportunity to work with, you know, I don't know, name a person. Uh, let's say Lenny Kravitz wanted to do an album with me, you know, let's say maybe that, you know, somewhere down the line, that opportunity comes up. Would I even want to or should I even want to like 
like Kevin Parker, do I want to just be alone in the room and allow this process to be like intimate between you and I? Like there is no middleman. There is no record company, nothing like that. It goes straight from me to you unabated, you know? think about that. I think that is the message that I'm trying to get across here. Of course, it took me, what, 15 or 20 minutes to do so. So apparently it's not one of those days where I'm as efficient as I want to be. I think that this is a good time for me to reach into my bag of potato chips. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. And eat myself a nice little potato chip. So pardon me for a minute. I'm going to eat one because I can't wait anymore. Good stuff. Nice and salty. <laughs> hmm. I'm still chewing. Hmm. All right. That's good. Gotta love potato chips. Wash it down with a little bit of coffee. Hang on. All right. So anyway, back to this idea I was talking about, about doing everything myself. And like, even if I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, have an album I make produced by some famous person or something like that, would I even want to? At this point, I would say no. I'm going to take the Kevin Parker route. Just do it yourself. Do it the way I'm doing it. Maybe that is what the magic is of something like Pipe Choir or even Tame Impala is that it's being done by one person. It's coming from the mind and the creativity of one person directly to the audience. There's no marketing scheme or anything like that. So, you know, I got to tell you that, uh, you know, I started releasing... Um, new new material back in April and you know, this new album this new collection of songs that I'm releasing for Pipe Choir and you know I gotta tell you I had like a plan you know as far as the songs uh, the, the running order of the album like I had this vague idea of like this is song number one song number two song number three But I got to tell you, this strange thing has been happening ever since I started releasing this music. Now, I started writing for this album probably about a year ago, maybe even more than a year ago, more like a year and a half ago. Okay. And I had these songs that were finished and done, and I knew they were going to be on the new album, and I was excited about it. But as I started to release new material... Every time I would release a new song, a new idea would come into my mind, usually connected somehow with that song. Um, It's hard to explain it without giving you specific examples, but I can't really do that yet because it'll make much more sense later on when I revisit this topic. But uh, this album, what's happening basically is this album is writing itself as I go like 
track number three was not supposed to be uh, an ode to the spirit. But that's what happened. See, that wasn't the plan. But that's what happened. And a broken table wasn't supposed to be, you know, song number five. But that's what wound up happening. It's writing itself. It's the song order. The the songs themselves. I mean, you know, I had another song in mind to be released in place of Sister Wind. Okay? I recorded it a year ago, and it was done, and I knew that that was the song that I wanted, but something was kind of telling me, you know, go back and redo Sister Wind. You know, don't forget. I even made notes to myself because I remember stuff like that or I get ideas like that and I forget, you know. So I recorded myself saying to me, do not forget to record Sister Wind. Like, redo it. Revisit it. And I did. Just And it took me, honestly, I swear to you, it took me like two or three days to complete it. I mean, it was amazing because I had already written the song. So I knew how it went. I knew the lyrics. I knew, you know, the verses and the chorus and all that stuff. I knew what drum beat I wanted. I knew what the guitars would be doing. And uh, what I'll do is at the end of this podcast, I will share with you (laughs) the demo version of Sister Wind that I did like way back in 2004. Okay like when I first wrote the song and I gotta tell you it's mildly embarrassing okay to play it but I think it's good to show you to demonstrate to you exactly how much growth had taken place from the time I wrote it until last week when I released the song the fit you know the finished version of the song the updated version of the song but uh it came together so quickly and of course it was like when I listened to it I'm like well this has to be the next song to be released so the next song I will be releasing is the song that was supposed to be in place of Sister Wind okay but Sister Wind kind of slid right in there it was a really quick idea a quick process that wound up sounding really good at least I think it did and I was happy with it, and that was the song. So the next song is a song called The Damage a Lie Can Do. It's the song that I gave you a snippet of a few podcasts ago. Uh, it's a little taste of the song. Um, it was one that I thought was pretty good at the time. You know, I still think it's all right. But, uh, you know, this album is writing itself. Something that kind of blows my mind, because I did not... I mean, I did not plan that at all to be happening. I mean, I got this one song. It's coming up. It's going to be after the song I'm releasing next. It'll be the next one after that. At least I think so at this point. But um, uh, what a story behind that one. I can't wait to tell you. I can't wait for you to hear it. And then I'll tell you the story behind it. Because I'll tell you something, folks. I got some songs on deck right now that are, you know, in sequence to be released, you know, within the next couple months. And, you know, I have it kind of mapped out pretty good. At least I think I do at this point. 
and I've got some music that's really, you know, I think you're, you guys are going to really like it. I really do. Um, but uh, this album is writing itself. Didn't plan it. You know. I was listening to, you know, my songs. I, I go back from time to time, especially when I release a new song. I like to go back to the beginning of the album and listen to it all the way through up until the point where I'm leaving off, you know. And uh, I was listening to it the other night and I was sitting there thinking to myself, well, I was thinking a lot of things, but what I was thinking to myself mostly was, you know, I've never had uh, a very good sound system to listen to music through. Like, um, like it may sound strange, like for somebody who's devoted their life to making music, I never really had the money or the inclination to go out and buy a great stereo system, like to listen to my music through, you know, like I've never had the opportunity really to listen to pipe choir music through, you know, thousand dollar speakers, you know, like perfect sibilance and, you know, EQ and have it just be like, you know, the crispest, cleanest sound. I've never heard it that way. I have always heard my music through headphones or, you know, really cheap speakers, you know, and I wonder, I wonder what that would be like. Like, do any of my listeners out there have a really good stereo system to listen to music through top shelf? I'm talking like really good, really, really nice stereo equipment. Um, and if you do, okay, have you ever listened to any of my music through it? And if you have, how does it sound? I mean, is it is it horrible or is it actually pretty good? Maybe if you're kind enough, you will mention it in the comments for me. I'm kind of curious. It's a little bit weird of a request, I understand, but I don't know. There are a lot of different people listening to this podcast right now and you know unfortunately I don't have the opportunity to talk to you or meet you all but I can ask questions right and maybe you will provide me with an answer so oh boy you know I've been thinking about it it's like I'm a little bit slow today and a little bit disorganized and all that kind of stuff and I think it's because last night uh, which was Thursday night um Oh my goodness, I stayed up all night long working on this song. Like, I just wasn't sleepy. I just wasn't tired. I was, like, so stoked and so excited about working on this new song. And, you know, I really wanted to have it out for this weekend, you know. So I stayed up all night, and, man, was that a mistake. I am, like, so tired right now. All day long, I've been, like, dragging, you know. And as I'm recording this, it's probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm just like, you know, going cross-eyed here. I'm like so tired and just kind of dragging. So bear with me, forgive me, you know. Um, anyway, so I was talking about how I was listening to my music. And, uh, you know, I go back. And when I release a new song, I'll go back to the beginning. I'll, I'll pick like a Friday night or something. And I'll cue it up and I'll sit down and I'll listen all the way through. How does it sound so far? How is this album, this collection of songs, like how is it working out, this narrative that I'm laying out? Is it going well? And, 
You know, what's kind of funny is one of the conclusions that I've come to over the past month or so, and I'm kind of surprised it took me that long to uh, get it together, but get this thought together. But when you think about it, like, you know, the drums, okay, the drums, like in a song are so important, you know, like in rock and roll, it's really, really all about the drums. Like I've heard it said before that, you know, if a band has a good drummer and a good singer, you know, you're, you're halfway there. I mean, that really is the core, the foundation of every great rock and roll band in history, you know, a great drummer and a great singer. And I don't think that I'm a great drummer or a great singer, but I'm a pretty good drummer and I'm an okay singer. I get by, but, but think about that, that idea. Like when you, you know, when you think about best songs, the ones that groove, you know, ACDC, right? Or Led Zeppelin, the drum beats are not like these big, you know, fantastic, you know, intricate and complicated things. They're very basic, you know, four on the floor, uh, like I call it crack and thud, you know, snare and kick drum kind of thing. It's like the core, the basis of uh, rock and roll music, you know. Um, and, you know, I am a drummer f- first, so I've always kind of had that idea or that understanding. But really, over the past month or so, it's really kind of kind of solidified in my mind how important the drums are to music. I mean, think about the greatest rock bands of all time and how great the drums were and how important they were. You know, I mean, even a song, like even a song like Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, think about that drum beat and how it's the bass, the foundation that that song is built on. You know, that... Right? I mean, it's like, it matters so much. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, you have a band like Van Halen, like Alex Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen, these two brothers, right? And they're, you know, they're Van Halen. I mean, they're they're amazing. They are. But think about how difficult it must have been for Eddie and Alex Van Halen to have their career go as long as it has and to remain friends and to remain good to each other. I mean, just let's pause for a moment and consider the relationship between Alex Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen and how amazing and remarkable that relationship must be at this point, right? I mean, think about it. What, 30 years now or something like that? Van Halen has been consistently, you know, putting out music and playing concerts and Yeah, they've had their lineup changes and all that, but the one constant throughout all the years was Alex Van Halen on drums, Eddie Van Halen on guitar. I suppose to a certain degree, it would have to be two brothers, right, Uh, to make it work the way that it did. And I know that Eddie Van Halen gets a lot of notoriety, you know, for his guitar playing, and he's kind of like the featured Uh, instrument in Van Halen but let me tell you Alex Van Halen is an excellent drummer okay and not just because of like the beats that he played and the classic songs that he played on but his drum sound you know he was like Bonham in that sense where 
His drum sound is so nuanced and so particular to him that even people who aren't drummers can listen to a Van Halen song, like the first four bars of the song, and they know right away it's Van Halen because they have their own sound. And Alex Van Halen has his own sound. And it's not something that's lost on me. You know, I think about that kind of stuff because... You know, I have brothers too, and they played instruments, and we jammed together, but not like that. You know, not something that lasted. So think about that. Isn't that amazing? They're still going too. There's no end in sight, really. You know, um, and it's been going for so long that relationship between those two guys has to be just amazing. Like the stories they can tell. You know, wow. Uh, does it matter? Is it, you know, is it important information? No, not really. But, you know, this is not a podcast that is concerned with, you know, talking about things that are only like really important or significant or something. Right. Just my thoughts, the things I think about, like what that relationship must be like. So, you know, while it might not be of the utmost significance to my happy innovators, you know, this relationship between Eddie and Alex Van Halen and all that kind of stuff. It is to me. You know, it's the kind of stuff I think about. Um, wow. I haven't even gotten through like half of the talking points that I wanted to talk about today. So I'm probably going to step off now. I'm probably going to cut this one off and I'll pick it up in another podcast because I have so much stuff that I wanted to talk about. But uh, I'm running out of time here. So... Um, I will say this, uh, stay tuned, you know, till after the podcast, if you want to hear, uh, the original version of Sister Wind that I recorded, um, and then I'll play immediately after that, the newest version of it, um, so you can hear the difference, you know, it's really, really laughable. I'm, I know I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to share the demo version or the original version of Sister Wind with you because it's that bad. <laughs> you know, it was recorded in like 2004 when I had absolutely no idea of like how to mic a drum set or anything like that. None of that technical stuff. I mean, I knew how to drum you know, I knew the instrument, but I didn't know anything about engineering in the studio. So it's maybe an interesting exercise for you interesting opportunity to listen to the original recording against the latest recording which has all the things that I've learned how to do over the past you know 15 or 20 years um, so stay tuned for that after the podcast is over um, I will be releasing a podcast very soon and oh you know what I gotta tell you this folks I gotta say this before I forget um I want you to know that uh, if you follow me on YouTube, okay, um, I'm going to be releasing instrumental versions of all of the songs that I've released thus far uh, for the new album, TLMS. The title is yet to be announced, but the initials are there, TLMS. But uh, I will be releasing in bulk you know, instrumental video versions of these songs. So, um, you know, like I said, if you follow me on YouTube, 
that's where you're finding me and you're watching or listening to the podcast or whatever, uh, just know that when you get the notifications, they're not going to be new songs. They're going to be instrumental versions of the songs. And you'll be able to tell by the thumbnail and the artwork and the title, of course, that they are instrumental versions. I just wanted to give you a heads up about it so that when you get those notifications or when you come to my YouTube channel, you'll understand that, yes, I am releasing a bunch of new songs or new pieces of music, I should say, but they are only the instrumental versions of the already released new songs that I've done. Okay, got it? Cool? All right. And so, my happy innovators, ladies and gentlemen, all of you, um, I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, stay tuned, folks, because I have a new song being released this weekend. I have, of course, like I mentioned, the instrumental versions of all the songs thus far. And uh, I was happy, okay, happy to give you a new podcast. You get a whole bunch of content coming from the pipe choir uh, war chest. You know, I got a lot of stuff uh, coming your way this weekend. It's going to be a busy weekend and maybe into next week. So uh, until next time, folks, remember this. If you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. Okay, happy innovators, here we go. I got the demo version of Sister Wind, originally recorded back in 2004. Um, You can hear uh, (laughs) the lackluster drum recording, guitar recording, um, all of it. But you know what? I got to say, to my own credit, the whole song is there. Okay, it's just recorded very badly. And if you stay tuned till after that version is over, you'll be able to hear the new version, the updated version, and hopefully you'll be able to hear the growth that's taking place. I think you can. I think it's pretty obvious. So here we go. Sister Wind, circa 2004.
Okay, ladies and gents, so you heard <laughs> the demo version of Sister Wind. Um, like I said, I was reluctant to share it because it's really, you know, pseudo embarrassing. Okay, but uh, the good news is, is now you get to hear the updated version, the modern version, the polished version of Sister Wind, and you can hear a difference or hopefully you'll be able to hear the difference in just the quality of the sounds and the mix and the production and everything. Same song, same words, same structure, same arrangement. The only difference is one was recorded when I didn't have any idea what I was doing and one is recorded, this one you're about to hear, is recorded with all of the knowledge, the, the synthesis of all the things I've learned coming out in one song, one production. You get to hear it. So hope you like it. Have a good weekend. Be good to yourselves. And I promise you, I will be talking to you soon. And remember, I will be releasing in bulk uh, the instrumental versions of these songs, the new songs. So if you want to uh, ignore those notifications, just so you know, it's coming down the pike probably this week. So peace out, everybody. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Hope you enjoy the music. Take it easy.